Welcome to the Spoon Me Podcast. I'm your host, Khalif Adams. What up, what up, what up? This is episode 339 of our show. Yo, I am so excited to see you all this week. It is a very, very, very good week. Uh, it's been a very good month, uh, in fact, uh, for us here in Chicago. And for me personally, it's been one of the best weeks of, of the show uh, and best months of the show, for sure. Lesson in Blackness blew up. Uh, it is the best show that we've had so far, the most listened to show. If you combine all the numbers from YouTube and from the podcast itself, it has been amazing to see the love that we've gotten over the past couple of weeks about this show. Um, and it feels like we've done some great work and moved the needle a little bit in in, in real ways and kind of changed the industry um, in real ways, talking about not only the things that are happening in the world, but you know the black content creator space, which is never getting the amount of love that it deserves. So it was really nice to be able to see you know, so many uh, organizations and companies uh, come out in support of us, in support of our message, in support of Black Lives Matter in a real way, which was amazing and fantastic and and, and super, super cool. So again, I have to thank everyone who was on the show uh, for being on there with me and, you know, sharing their thoughts and, and, and being really uh, amazing about being, about being so, um, you know, uh, readily available to share their feelings and thoughts in, in good ways. Um, this week is going to be really, really cool. We've had so many different appearances. I was on Kind of Funny a couple of times, IGN, GameSpot, uh, Polygon, the optional podcast. We're going to be doing IGN Beyond soon as well. Lots of really cool streams coming up, lots of fun things to go. But this week we have something really, really special. We have a very, very cool exclusive interview with Marcus Leto over from V1 Interactive. He's going to be hanging out with us talking all about integration which is a game that i'm really really digging uh, it is this hybrid first person shooter with an rts mixed in there as well it's really cool really like it a lot uh got a chance to play it at pack some years ago and uh was really hyped to do that so we're gonna check out this dope interview with our man the man the legend and marcus leto uh and then you'll get a chance to hear a little bit more about what's happening in the news this week so i'm really excited about that too so check out this interview and we'll be right back after this Good to be here, Khalif. Yeah, yeah. So we haven't had a chance to hang out since, what was it, PAX? It was like PAX, PAX of, of yeah. last year? Uh, where we uh, had hands-on, we're playing multiplayer at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was definitely trying to figure it all out in real time because uh, <laughs> it was a lot of a lot of stuff to, to grok all at one time uh, going in for the, for the first spot of gameplay. Um, but I, I have to tell you, like, this is one of the games that I've been thinking about for a long time when I got a hand, got a chance to play it for the first time and have really been thinking about how wonderful um it's going to be when everybody else gets a chance to kind of dig into the world that you've built i want to i want to first of all um ask you you know we have all these crazy things that are happening <clears throat> in the world uh how are you doing is everything okay how are you been oh uh, thanks for asking um it's been super challenging honestly Khalif uh, with uh, starting with a pandemic and then uh, 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 recent events you know within the last couple of weeks um, yeah. has been a really tough uh, challenge for us as a studio and um, as we try to wrap the game up and as we are dealing with the uh, the social pressures and uh, and the things that we need to be doing you know in order to be responsible um, as a studio um, and with our game. So we are absolutely, you know, taking it day by day uh, right now. Um, that said, um, 
we're real excited find, about people finally being able to play the game and uh, for launch that's coming up soon um, because I think we've been going on now 14 weeks of working from home wow. and having the team, you know, everybody working remotely, uh, going through probably one of the most difficult parts of any dev cycle where we have to, you know, wrap up some of the most difficult bugs uh, to solve and then go through a certification pro uh, process on each one of the major platforms. And that's been, <laughs> I can't believe we actually did it, uh, con uh, considering all things considered, but um, uh, we are just wrapping up the final loose ends of it right now. Yeah, you're you're almost at launch, and it's uh it's 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 gonna be really cool to see again just how everybody comes to the game and, and kind of you know adds their their remarks and, and and gets a chance to actually get hands on it and dig into it. Um, I'm really curious again for the folks at home who don't know about this integration and kind of the the background around the game mm -hmm. and and what the game is about. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about you know what they'll be playing. Okay, so. Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, Disintegration is a, it's mostly a first person shooter with a real time tactical element to it that is woven in in a way that's, I don't think has been done before and in a way that really um, we got super excited about uh, early on in development and kind of ran with it uh, and and uh, amplified this part of the project, making it the core central uh, element of our game where the player is a pilot on a vehicle called a grab cycle that you've got uh, control through the environment, uh, um, uh, both omnidirectional, uh, like up and down, forward, back, left and right, all, everything. You've got onboard weapons, both offensive and defensive, so you can engage in combat on the ground. And you've got a ground crew, which is uh, there to help support you and work with you that you are commanding. And each one of them have a unique ability that can be used tactically in gameplay. Uh, so that's that real cool str strategic and tactical element to the game uh, that is incredibly unique. Uh, there's, it takes, it's hard to explain because it's one of those games that uh, you really <laughs> got to get into it, get your hands on the controller or the mouse and keyboard and get a feel for something that's really different. Uh, it's uh, deliberate movement and, and uh, deliberate design uh, mechanics that I think uh, once players like get in within five to 10 minutes or so, they're going to wrap their heads around this something that's completely different uh, that they're not used to. Um, and hopefully it's something fresh enough that uh, they really get excited about it. I'm as excited as we are about uh, what we've created. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it is it is really different in, in lots of different ways. Like, I don't think I've had a chance to play a game that did mash up these kinds of genres in ways that felt new and fresh and and really interesting like what was the conversation around at the team of you one when you kind of went to decide that you were going to kind of make this hybrid game with this first person shooter and with with like rts uh bits and pieces to it too when we first started um as i had i think i talked to you about this back at pax yeah like yeah. when we were just it was literally just an rts game and it wasn't until we decided to really change things on its head just flip the entire game 
and uh, because we weren't satisfied with the direction it was going. It was a fun game. It was something that was really interesting at that time. And the universe was the most important part of it that I was um, I was really happy with the direction and where it was going. So changing the gameplay mechanics almost entirely um, within a couple weeks. Uh, it took us a fair amount of time to go through that process of developing and turning that camera into that uh, participant in combat and in a way that you're actually, you know, firing down on enemies, they're firing back at you and you're commanding that, uh, that ground crew. Um, it took us a long time actually to go through that iteration cycle, but we knew probably within the first month or so that we were onto something really interesting. Um, it wasn't a turn-based mechanic. It was had no stilted elements of pausing gameplay to make choices tactically. This was all fluid, very fluid, super like active. Um, like you're never uh, you're never pausing or never feeling like you have to like stop things in order to make a decision. You get to do it fluidly in the midst of your actions as that first-person uh, pilot in the sky. And that was our goal, is to boil everything down to those bare essentials that um, really made uh, a, a difference to the player and are the most important elements of what make Disintegration what it is. One of the things that I absolutely love about the game is that real-time combat uh, part of it, where it definitely feels, at times, chaotic but it also feels like i have control over everything that i'm doing at the same time which is you know it's one of those weird pat your head rub your belly kind of things where you're <laughs> like how many things can i can i manage at a time but it also feels yeah. like it's not overwhelming in that way you know what was the conversation around um not only you know again those 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 systems kind of working in tandem but mm. making sure that the player isn't overwhelmed with you know, uh, all these things happening at the same time and them getting kind of flustered by by the potential of all that stuff going on at once. Yeah, that was key for us to go through and spend the time necessary to try to get that right. Because the very earliest iterations of it were incredibly overwhelming. We were still asking the player to micromanage those units, actually like select individual units, tell them where to go, what direction they were facing and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, while it was sort of interesting, it was clear that uh, we were asking the player to do far too much. Um, and even later on, we gave each one of those units a special ability, which was a great addition, but we needed to make sure that we allow the player to fire off that ability in a way that felt natural, that felt um, like it was all part of the, just that easy to understand basic uh, gameplay mechanic in a way that you could pick it up and understand and function in the game within five minutes easy yeah you you can really get the uh, the feel for it pretty quick but it takes a while then to really delve deeper into the mechanics of oh now i get how to use that unit ability tactically in combat and now i understand how i can use that ability and another unit's ability in chain reaction to one another to create uh, super kind of uh, sets of, of uh, ability usage and to really think through some of those combat uh, maneuvers that um, that you're about to engage in when you um, uh, like approach uh, a bunch of enemies in a combat pocket. Like that's the kind of cool stuff that really then starts as you get as you get through the uh, campaign, you start to build your tool set and start mm -hmm. to master some of those abilities throughout 
which is then essential when you get into the multiplayer realm, which is um, incredibly uh, chaotic uh, and frenetic and awesome uh, in its own way. Yeah, one of the things that I really like, because I've, I've started to dabble into the single player campaign, which so far is really, really fantastic. So great job on the team. Uh, give them a whole bunch of kudos and love for me. Thank you. Uh, because I love single player content. I love when you give a, a sense of weight to the world uh, that I definitely want to ask you about in a second. But I think the, the, the abilities that I'm seeing that I'm using now in the initial parts of the, the campaign, I'm definitely thinking forward about when I start to go play MP later. It's a multi multiplayer later of how I'm going to use those abilities together and how I'm going to chain those things together and, and do cool things. So it's been really nice to see how you've laid out the 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 kind of scope of the game with these individual uh, uh, campaign missions, which I think is, is really, really cool. Um, one of the things I also really love about the campaign, of course, is the lore around the game, which I think you've all done a really fantastic job in building. I know that, the, you know, you've had a, a huge hand in building out the Halo franchise and now have decided to, to jump ship and, and go do, work, do that work over V1. What's the conversation been inside your own head after having built this huge world over in the Halo universe and now kind of starting <laughs> over in the world of disintegration? Um, and, and redoing that work to build out a, a new lore and, and, and new characters and, and, and new places for people um, to explore. Yeah, good question, uh, because um, it took so much time, you know, with uh, the Halo universe building that up. Um, I was one of many people that helped develop that universe. Um, being there at the very beginning of that, uh, through seeing it to where it is now, it, uh, it blows me away to see how immense that universe has become. Um, not just within the development team's vision of the game, but then everything that happened around it with the community. And that's where some of that magic happens that is really fantastic to see. Um, I hope, I can only hope that Disintegration strikes as much accord with the community in a way that sparks imagination and keeps things alive on that front because we spent a long time building the backstory to, to disintegration, the lore that runs deep through everything that isn't readily uh, apparent or told right on the surface. It's stuff that players have the opportunity to uh, delve a little deeper into here and there by exploring the environment uh, and using uh, scan mode to see things in the world that uh, might just uh, help uncover just a few more tidbits or even just meeting up with some of those characters in the player hub after a mission to go talk to them individually and and uh, and, and learn a little bit more about who those characters are. Um, uh, all of the stuff that we put into the deep back fiction of the game all informs what those characters, who those characters are, what they say, and everything else within the world, not only just within single player, but how it even carries over into the multiplayer realm as well. Like all of that stuff now has legitimacy within the, the universe that we've created. Yeah, I, I, I love the idea of the integration process. I, I know you talked a little bit about that in some in some other interviews, but for the folks at home that, that don't know that particular part of the, the ethos and kind of the lore, what, t tell the folks at home a little bit about, you know, what that actually means to, to the story and the main protagonist as well. Sure. Yeah. Integration with uh, the human to a robotic entity was the cornerstone of what makes 
disintegration so important. Um, uh, it's it's the idea that in the future humanity is dealing with all kinds of awful things. Um, it's not a, a post-apocalyptic world. It's a world that we live in uh, that is like an extension of things that have happened as a result of our ignorance to technology or the world around us, uh, the natural world around us, and the things that happen uh, within. And if if we if we take some of those things to a, uh, an extreme logical conclusion, that's kind of where we set the, the foundation for the world of disintegration. Mm -hmm. And in this world, one of the means of survival is actually taking the human brain, encasing it in an armored uh, shell and attaching that to a robotic armature. Now we did this on purpose. Um, it's not it's not like a lot of leading theories of like, we're just going to upload our brains into the cloud and then, or, or sit back in some kind of like uh, uh, a chamber where our, we're connected to a remote uh, driven uh, robot. We didn't want to do any of that at all because what the whole focus of this game is the fact that the actual person who is still vulnerable lives inside that robotic entity and that actual person is a normal person like you and me they're not mm. genetically modified they're not super soldiers they're not uh, military trained these are normal folks they're teachers they're journalists they're game devs they're mechanics they are all surviving in this world together um, because uh, they have this instinct and this desire to to live on and ultimately become human again. And so they're, uh, they're working together and to fight against the enemy uh, uh, as best as they possibly can using the limited means that they have available to them. Yeah, it makes me and, think. And it's Go ahead, through, I'm sorry, sorry, it's those characters, like it's like those interesting character interactions that we get. Yeah. Then, as a result, it's just like the that's the meat and the awesome part of the story that that we get to tell that human part of the story that I think makes um, the the story overall um, uh, so much more relatable um, and uh, interesting than for pretty much anybody. Well, it makes me think now if, if integrated Khalif would still like chocolate chip cookies in his robot form uh, as, as a thing. That's actually, one of the, that's actually one of the great things that we talked about all the time. It's like, that's one of the reasons they want to become human again, yeah. because they want those chocolate chip cookies. They want <laughs> that, that, you know, that thing that they can't do as a robot. Yeah, they may be uh, stronger and more durable yeah. and they can live longer as a robotic entity, but they can't do the things that they loved so much and that the things that made them the humans that they are. And that's at, that's at the crux of the questions that we ask. Uh, throughout the entire story. And that's the reason the enemies exist. That's the reason our protagonists uh, and uh, uh, exist as well uh, and why they're fighting the good fight um, throughout the game. I love that. I love that because that's a great that's a great conversation to have about the again that crux and that and that kind of push and pull between the human human need and the human want and the, and all the things that make us human with again kind of uh, you know transplanting those things into these robot bodies and seeing how those characters kind of interact with it. I think one of the things that I've really have started to to, to really dig into and, and find that I love about the game so far has been just how well the characters interact with each other and how they speak to 
each other and how they uh, how they just the VO has been really, really good. Um, what, what's that been in terms of the conversations from snagging people who you knew were going to kind of work well together to bring these characters to life? Oh, gosh, yeah, because building the story uh, for Disintegration, um, writing the story, I should say, that uh, it took a long time for us to get through that whole process. Um, uh, it started off as probably a three hour long epic cinematic uh, movie that could have gone on forever. And we finally <laughs> we slowly whittled it down to something that was producible um, and writing the dialogue. Uh, we had several different writers involved um, to give each one of these characters their voices and to, to the point where we were satisfied with the script um, and, and how these characters were going to interact with one another. It wasn't until then we went out for the search uh, for all of the actors that would play these characters. Because um, we've got men, women, black, white, Hispanic. We've got uh, non-binary characters as well that are just like this really rich cast of ensemble casts for the game. And so it did take a while for us to find those actors who could represent those voices and really bring them to life. And then when we did finally, um land on the on the cast some of uh some folks who i'd worked with on the halo universe some folks who are brand brand new to uh, my experience in working with them oh man they brought so much great life to these characters in a way in some ways that we never anticipated hmm. uh, because they would just oh they would just like deborah wilson for instance like she would just take oh. her character and she would just run with it in the studio and like her. riff on lines and she would go for an extra 15 20 minutes on something that wasn't even on the script and we ended up using some of that because it was just so genuine and so just heartfelt the way she would bring that character to life I, and as soon as i heard her voice i was like oh that's deborah wilson i'm so excited that she's in the game i, I mean i love her <laughs> is a ball of energy. I love, I love that her. woman. I love her. She's so fantastic. I, she's yeah. one of the people who, when I think of like, has made a really interesting transition in her career to doing a lot of this VO work and having a, a basis in comedy too. That it's, it's all those things seem to work really well for, for the characters totally. that she portrays in, in the world. Yeah. Um, one of the other characters in the game that we didn't really get to talk, didn't, didn't really get to talk about are grab cycles themselves. They, they are yeah. a huge part of the world of the lore and the game itself. Where'd the concept for those come from? Cause I thought that that was a really interesting play on the, you know, it's kind of the, the, the hand of God, right? A little bit, but it, but it's kind of in this, this motorcycle air cycle format. What's, what's the conversation around how grab cycle started? Uh, yeah, as, when we turned that that camera into an actual vehicle and then turned it, I mean, initially it was like this more generic drone type character or sure. vehicle. And then I'm like, nah, that's not as interesting. I really <laughs> want to put my hands on the controls of that thing and get a feel for how this thing flies in the air. Yeah. And um, I'm I my, myself and uh, am an avid uh, motorcyclist, so I like being in the seat of a motorcycle, I like that feel, uh, that exhilaration that you have when you're on the open road. And I also build motorcycles. So I love the uh, connection that you can have with a vehicle that you know every torque spec of every bolt on that thing. You know how the engine works. You know how um, everything functions together and in concert with one another. And so it was real important for, for me to try to get that across uh, with it when it comes to the vehicles because um, they are a central character to the game. You're right. Like it's one of the key stars of the game is the graph cycle itself. 
and it comes in a lot of different flavors uh, throughout the campaign. Uh, they're equipped differently per mission. And then uh, even in uh, multiplayer, of course, every one of the grand grab cycles is a, fits a different class and a different loadout and a different theme overall. And it's kind of like a like embracing that car culture of uh, like folks who modify things and really love having fun with expressing themselves uh, through the vehicle themselves. And that's really then became the the heart of what was so interesting about the grab cycle, um, that it became this thing that um, it's like like typical car, car culture and, and how that uh, how that can really be a personal thing to uh, to the to the individual who owns it and uh, has modified it and uh, has put a lot of love into that thing. Yeah, and each one so far that I've gotten a chance to to, to move move across through the, the the single player campaign, they do really do feel different. It, it feels um, the the tactics that I'm using feel a little bit different per mission and with the ground troops I have kind of moving in the space. So it definitely does feel like that. Um, yeah, because gonna... you got you've got like a light medium and heavy class graph cycle each one you know the light's going to be a little faster a little um less armored but then in in, uh, contrast to the heavy you know sometimes like outfitted with big beefy weapons on it and uh, really feel like a tank just moving into combat so we wanted to make sure that the player had that variety as they move through the uh, single player campaign and the, the, you know, they have that kind of like, they have those moments where they feel like they're all powerful and they have those moments where they feel like they can really sneak around in the shadows and have a great time uh, playing a different type uh, or a different style tactically. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I'm most excited about besides, of course, finishing up the single player stuff is, is the multiplayer aspect of it. And I know that there are a bunch of different factions within it, within those groups as well. Do you have any favorites? Uh, any ones that really speak to your heart and make you make you feel really excited to, to rock? It depends on what, what game, game mode I'm playing, I guess. Uh, like... <laughs> I, I, even though uh, Lost Ronin is one of the basic uh, uh, crews that you, you can hop into, I shouldn't say basic. It's just it's like one of the crews that is pretty easy to understand as far as its meta is concerned. But it's so great and powerful if you use it uh, effectively and tactically, especially with the ground units that come along with it, mm-hmm. um, for clearing out ground units. So it's it's a fantastic uh, offense and defense uh, go to. That's for sure. And then uh, whenever I play D, I love hopping into Warheads. I just, yeah. I mean, I love popping the nuke off every now and then. And just if you can get it landed just perfectly, um, yeah, there's, I have no greater feeling than it sometimes. Um, so that's one of my faves. Uh, and then, but to be honest with you, I love being able to like uh, hop back and play. Um, uh, support for my team uh, okay. occasionally, and when I do want to play that role, and when the team needs it, I'm going to hop into uh, Tech Noir. I'm going to use my heals on my on my teammates, and I'm going to just like pop them from the uh, using my uh, uh, marksman rifle from af- from afar. Um, of course, of using the ground units, you know they've got a super effective uh, anti uh, grav cycle missile barrage from one of the defenders on the ground. So yeah. that's uh, I. I guess it uh, depends on the game type, but I've got a couple go-tos there. Are you, are you the most competitive person at V1 when it comes to playing the game so far? I wish I could say that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think we're all we're all def- uh, we're all fairly competitive, and we all have a good time. Um, I'm not quite as competitive uh, over the top <laughs> as some of the others at the studio, and I think one of the things we find. 
um, while we, you know, we built the game and we feel like we're pretty good at building the game. Even our QA team down uh, in Vegas, who works yeah. with us from private division, yeah. man, they kick our butts often. And, uh, <laughs> and it's not going to be long when it gets out into the wild. Um, and uh, after launch, I guarantee you, it'll be 24 hours before there are people who are far better pros at it than we are. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I have, I have a couple of more questions for you before I can let you go. Um, what are the first things that you want folks to kind of dig into when they pop the game in or they've gotten their download finished and they're about to, to hit start? Mm -hmm. What's what's a couple of the first things you want folks to do and, and, and play around with in, in the game? Um, I, I honestly, I want them to join. I, I want them to actually go through the, uh, the tutorial. I mm -hmm. think it's such a critical element uh, just to allow players to like learn the basics. It's a pretty short five minute thing, but it, it, it will be essential just to understand some of those core mechanics because it is such a different game. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's something that if you go through that and you just kind of wrap your head around some of those, those basic core mechanics, it will help so tremendously, uh, across the, either campaign or a multiplayer. And then in, in multiplayer, um, if you just want to spend some time playing around with one of the crews to get a sense for how they work, we have a multiplayer sandbox uh, available now. So uh, one of the things the players can do is just hop in there, play against AI, get a sense for how that uh, how that crew operates, uh, what some of their special abilities are, and uh, that's just a really good way to you know get a sense for them without. Uh, the um, the uh, like uh, the the crazy uh, a aspect of multiplayer and having five e five on top of one another in the midst of that crazy frenetic experience. Oh my goodness! Well, the last question I have to ask this one is: so if you were to go through the integration process yourself, <laughs> what kind of build would you want to have in your new body? Oh my gosh, that was and that was one of the core elements of what got us so excited about uh, disintegration. Why, uh, when when you go through the integration pro, uh, process initially uh, in the fiction, a lot of them were just the normal humanoid uh, uh, bodies, the robotic entities, or that you could like walk around in, and we did that on purpose, you know, so people wouldn't like freak out when they suddenly woke up in a robot body that they had something <laughs> familiar to themselves. But as time goes on. They get used to that and they're like, well, why not design something cooler for myself? I could be 15 foot tall mech if I wanted to be. And so some of those characters that we designed uh, be, be, be uh, like uh, some of them are like eight to 10 feet high. Some of them are almost uh, 15 feet high. Like uh, the, the battle tank character yeah. is probably one I would love to just like roam around in and just get a sense for how that feels because uh, that would be pretty awesome to have all of that, you know, like that power and like w walking around in an environment. Um, um, so that would probably want to be one of my go-tos. But to be honest with you, like playing uh, one of the characters like uh, the pilots mm. uh, because I love building motorcycles and I love being in the pilot seat and having that, I would probably end up choosing one of those. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Marcus, time has flown as usually as it usually does. Uh, we have great mm -hmm. folks on the show. Again, let the folks know at home when the game's coming out, what platforms it'll be on, uh, and then you know, plug, plug, and plug away. 
<laughs> okay. Um, sure. Yes. Uh, Disintegr uh, Disintegration comes out on uh, June 16th on the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and Steam PC uh, platforms. So um, all simultaneous. I, and uh, like I said, we actually made all this happen in the midst of a quarantine. Um, I'm sure there are going to be things we want to uh, do as we uh, as we get post-launch. Um, we'll be supporting the game. Uh, with new maps, new modes, new crews, new skins, all kinds of other cool stuff. Uh, so we want to keep that ecosystem healthy and alive. And we're just really excited that the small team of only about 30 developers at V1 was able to create this game um, and that we cannot wait for the community to get their hands on it and start playing in, uh, playing the game. And uh, we can't wait for the feedback that we get back so we can continue making this game even better. Well, Marcus, again, thank you for coming through today. You know, everybody in Chicago loved what we got a chance to do when we had our first chat uh, back at PAX. And a lot of folks in our community are already really excited about the game. So break a leg. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys because uh, I'm really Thanks, excited for it. And uh, everybody in Chicago, again, this is the stuff you only get here. Uh, we'll see you in a little bit. And uh, pick up this integration. It's going to be pretty damn good. Thanks, Philly. Appreciate it. Hey everybody, that was a fantastic, amazing, super awesome uh, interview with Marcus Leto. I'm again, you know, overjoyed uh, that we got a chance to sit down with him. It is it is rare that you get to have folks like that um, on a show, uh, being able to come and hang out with you and do all that cool stuff. And he also came through and, and rocked us, uh, rocked with us on the front page of Twitch as well. We had like 4,000 people watching us play uh, the game for single player. And he had uh, Marcus and a whole bunch of V1 folks in the chat hanging out with us and, and chilling. So again, massive love to them. Go check out Disintegration is out now. Uh, you can go you can go copy it on PC, PS4, and I think Xbox as well. Um, and again, like super fun interview. Had a lot of had a lot of fun with him and, and a lot of fun with um, hanging out with that whole crew. So before we uh, transition again, uh, lots of cool stuff coming up. Uh, we have some really good uh, interviews coming up as well. Next week, uh, we have Sarah Dici, uh, who's one of my favorite uh, uh, podcasters and content creators coming up and rocking with us. So make sure you're checking out our, our podcast feeds and our social media feeds to make sure you're there for that. But for now, let's go check out what the deal is with the 411. So we have lots of cool news this week. Uh, if you're not familiar with what went down over the past couple of days, the PS5 got announced, it got shown, we saw the box. All those things are now real in the world. They are actually out there. We got a chance to see what they look like. I am very, very excited for what Sony is gonna be putting out into the world. I know that a lot of folks are still trying to figure out you know, what they want to do, which side they want to jump on and which, which ones they want to kind of mess with. I am amazingly excited. So we got a chance to see exactly what it looks like. It is a beautiful, beautiful piece of tech. The PS5 reveal itself was really good for a conference. They did a really good job um, in terms of showing, you know, what the hardware was going to look like. They showed a bunch of games that we're going to talk about in a minute too. Um, and I was actually really surprised with 
just how much they had to offer. It was it was a really well and smartly done press conference for, you know, we had a lot of folks kind of wondering what they were going to wind up putting out, um, you know, what it was going to look like and what is it going to, you know, convey, you know, there's these conversations around like what the ethos of a machine and what that connection means to the, uh, to the, to, to the platform in a real way, which I thought was, was fairly interesting and in how they, how they showcased everything and how they talked about it and how they went about the process of, of going through, you know, in this really stylish way, showing exactly what the whole new system was going to look like. It's so pretty. It has all these dope curves on it. It looks like a, 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 a monolith, like a statue. It's really well done in terms of what they put together for a, you know, piece of hardware that you're going to be using, you know, every day that you game. Um, there was something that was really interesting, which was the, the, um, the want to use not only, you know, a disc version of the console, but also a disc less version of the console, which I did not see coming. I did not think that that was going to be a thing that we saw in a real way. Um, I thought it was just going to be discs and I thought that was going to be what we already kind of knew and, and, and figured out, but the fact they have two versions of it, which are the disc version and the disc, disc looks one disc less one. That's actually the word that I wanted to say gives me lots of new options. So it tells me that one, an all digital version is going to be something that is going to be really important for me. Um, I'm done with discs. I don't need discs anymore. I don't have the, the, the want to necessarily go through that process anymore. There's no real reason for it. I don't buy them. Um, I don't really do anything with them. Uh, you know, it will be interesting to see what they do with backwards compatibility in that, in that space to see if they, um, play around in, in that space. Um, but it will be pretty cool to see exactly what happens with the, the UI, with the ecosystem, with all the parts they show, they showed the headset, they showed the camera, they showed the dual sense again. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really curious about what the price is going to be. There was a lot of scuttlebutt around you know, what this means with two SKUs. And then we have to, just, we have to talk about what that means from the Xbox perspective, where we don't know, you know, what their pricing is going to wind up being. Are they going to have a digital only version, which they talked about, you know, the rumors have been there for a long time about Lockhart being a thing. Uh, so that will be interesting to see where that lands in a real way. Um, so I'm very, very excited. Like Sony, when you think about what they were able to pull off, they kind of knocked it out of the box, to be honest. They did a fantastic job about, you know, how they were going to showcase some of the games and how they showcased the the, the hardware, um, which looks gorgeous and, and, and all that uh, put together. So I'm very, very excited about what that's going to look like. Um, one of the games that I am really, really hyped about is uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, which I was blown away by what they showed in terms of visuals. Like if you're going to put up a launch lineup and this be something that's in that space, like you got to go ham and they went ham with the way this thing looks. I have not seen a game look this pretty in a long time. I'm super hyped about miles Morales having his own game. There was some conversations about if it's a, you know, a full game or if it's kind of the secondary thing that's going to be on the side. Um, it, you know, they talked about it. They talked about it being a real game. They talked about it being, you know, a, a full-fledged uh, piece of content and a full-fledged $60 title for, or at least what it will look like a $60 title for uh, PlayStation 5. 
And my goodness, like if you're going to have a showcase title uh, that's going to show off your hardware and, and be something that everybody already wanted, like, my God, that thing is going to be madness whenever that thing drops. I'm very, very excited for it. Um, you know, Miles with the dope with the dope lineup looking good, too. I was like, my God, he looks really good. It looks really good. Um, so that's huge in the space. You know, Ratchet and Clank got a big showing, too, which I don't necessarily care about. But I think in terms of showcasing what the hardware can do again with the ideas around not loading, they did a really good job of him jumping through worlds and, and, and kind of, you know, shifting through these portals and all this other stuff, which looks really dope, too. So uh, that's going to be fun to be able to see that be a thing uh, whenever they do that. And the, the other game that I saw that, that was really cool was, of course, Horizon Zero Dawn uh, Forbidden West, which is the sequel to the game uh, that we all kind of hoped was going to be there. We knew that it was going to be a thing. Uh, we, we had an expectation that it was definitely going to be out. Um, and now seeing it in, you know, 4K, which will hopefully will be 60 uh, when it drops, that'll be, you know, I, I, I guess it's gonna, I mean, it's going to look really pretty. Like, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Like right now, the thing that I actually care about mostly is we know everything's going to look super pretty. We know it's going to look gorgeous. What are you going to do from a hardware perspective, from a UI perspective, from a system perspective that is going to make these games better? Like, I'm just expecting... You know, when you talk about Spider-Man, you talk about this game, like the world should be huge at this point. Uh, it should be amazingly big uh, in the way that you want that stuff to look. And uh, that's the stuff that's going to impact gameplay in a real way. Um, and I'm really excited to hear that stuff. Like when they have their next press conference, that's the stuff I'm really excited to hear. Like one, I want to hear price for sure. And two, I just want to really know what they're going to do when it comes to um, the hardware bits that we've seen. Cause again, it's all about the SSD right now. We still don't know what the, what the create button does. Uh, we still don't know what the UI looks like. Uh, we did hear that the UI will be different this time around. It will more than likely maybe not be the, uh, not cross media bar. Cause that's not what it is now, but the panels that we have now on the PS4 will not be the same as what we'll get in the PS5, which is also really good. I think you have to do that as a company. When you put out new hardware, you need to make that stuff look really cool and pretty. So, it's going to be real dope. Um, I'm excited to see what else they're going to show. Oh, they showed 2K too. They showed this really dope Zion Williamson uh, snippet of, of him being in the gym and being like the most polyed out that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he looks really, really good uh, in the game. Uh, and we'll see what that looks like. Because again, sports titles are the ones that usually when they come out uh, on new systems are the ones that showcase the graphics the best. Um, and, and, and car games and things like that usually show off graphics really, really well. So I'm very, very excited for what Gorilla has to put out. Insomniac is going to kill it with, with Spider-Man. And I'm just really excited to play around with new hardware, uh, get that new hardware smell uh, in your house, which is always which is always pretty fantastic. So I'm very, very, very excited about that. Um, our last story for this week is all about Valve. Um, Valve, uh, for some reason, hasn't put out a Black Lives Matter statement. Um, I'm not sure why they haven't. Uh, I don't know if they're gun shy in some form or fashion about wanting to do that thing. Um, I'm actually fairly surprised that they haven't done it yet, which I would expect it wouldn't be that difficult to be able to do. Like, I would think that you would just be able to knock that out and, and get it done. 
But for some strange reason, they have not put out a Black Matters, Black Lives Matters statement yet. Um, and it's caused a couple of developers to take their stuff off their stores. It took a couple of devs to take their games off their store, which I think is powerful. Like, I think it's one of those things where, you know, developers and, and, and game purchasers and consumers, we have a lot of power to have conversations in real ways. And we have lots of power to affect the things that we, you know, find interesting or that we really rock with or that we don't rock with. So it's not a full boycott, but it is something where you don't have to think about that whole process anymore to say, like, am I going to support you with my dollars if you don't align politically with what I'm hoping you would align with? And I don't think that necessarily this is a hard statement to see people come out with when we've seen so many brands come out uh, and gaming companies come out already at this point to, to, to shout out that Black Lives Matter. So, um, you know, massive kudos to the folks who decided that they didn't want their game on Steam. Um, and I think that that's really interesting. Like one dev talked about he lost basically a thousand dollars a month in sales because he's going to take his game off, take their game off the off the store, which again, like kudos to them, like more power to them. I'm throwing up my fist for you, because I think, again, we've seen the conversations happen over the past couple of weeks. We've seen so many more incidents of police brutality happen in the world. We've seen more incidents of black death happen that have always felt super suspect. Like five, five folks have been uh, found hung in uh, or hanged um, in various parts of the country. And a lot of the times the, and, and the conversation has been around the police uh, um, units or the police officers around those places or the, the, the precincts around those places have talked about them in terms of suicide. There's no way in hell that those, that those five black people hung themselves. There's just no way that doesn't make any sense. That's a stupid uh, evaluation of what possibly might've happened. I just don't believe that that doesn't jive with me in a real way. Uh, we've seen so much more violence against black women over the past 72 hours, 96 hours. Uh, we've seen lots of violence towards the black trans community. We've seen so many acts of violence happen in this space that a company like valve that is huge has a huge player base has a huge consumer base could do the minimum and put up a Black Lives Matter statement um, to, to, to even if you don't believe it, to appease the people who you have in the fold who play PC games on your platform. So um, I, I am, you know, saddened by the fact that they haven't been able to do that. I think it's I think it's a bad look for them. Um, I wonder what's going to happen if they decide to actually shift gears and, and actually do that work. Um, but we'll see. Uh, and again, it's one of those things where like everybody out there, your wallet means a lot. Your wallet means a lot, especially right now, black folks, your wallet means even more right now because you have so many eyes on our community so that you can do this work in the ways that you feel that are comfortable. White folks, you got to do that stuff too. Uh, so that's a part of that conversation as well. So yeah, it's been a interesting week. It has been lots of ups and downs. There have been lots of cool stuff happening. There's been some sad stuff as well. Um, but it's been a really, um, interesting ride, uh, for this past month. And it feels like, again, the conversations have shifted a, a lot in the gaming industry, um, in good ways. Um, and I think that to the, for the most part, everyone is kind of trying to do their part, um, in reasonable and good ways. So valve, get your stuff together, figure that thing out, get the people in the spaces that you need to, uh, to be able to do that work and make it happen. Um, 
Last thing uh, before we get up out of here is the Blacks and Gaming uh, Coalition. Uh, it's kind of a sliver of the Xbox group. Uh, we've been featured on the Blacks and Gaming page on the Xbox page um, for a while now. Uh, they have, you know, put us on there as a, a show to check out, as, as as content to be able to check out. Uh, so thank you, Xbox team, for for doing that work. Uh, but they run a Facebook uh, group for Blacks and Gaming uh, uh, from the dev standpoint. And they've been putting out some really good content um, around some of the work that they've been doing in the space as well. So uh, it's not, it's a closed group, so you won't be able to get into it. Um, I spoke to some of the folks who are running it to say, hey, these talks that you've been having every every couple of days, actually, they've been having these wonderful talks. Um, and it's been really cool to like peek in to have some like amazing industry vets who have been in the gaming industry for like 20 plus years talking about some of the work that they've been doing. Um, so I'm hoping that they open that back up or at least they put some of those talks on YouTube um, so that more folks can get a chance and, and see some of the wonderful folks who are in that Blacks and Gaming group and get to hear some get to hear some fantastic conversations from veterans of the, of the space who are, you know, black and brown folks who look like us. Um, so mad love to, to, to Big. Uh, they are fantastic as usual. Mad love to Marcus Leto. Massive love to Private Division. Massive love to Tower Bruno. And, and her squad uh, uh, on the PR side, because they, you know, constantly look out for us and give us love and give us access to, to, to wonderful folks like Marcus and V1. And uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited for what's coming up next. Again, so we have uh, Sarah Dici, who's going to be rocking with us next week. Uh, I am super excited to, to rock with her on the show. Been a big fan of hers for a long time. And keep, you know, keep watching our stuff on YouTube. We're growing a lot on YouTube right now. Twitch, we're blowing up as well. And the show is doing really well uh, in podcast form. So please continue to support. Please share out the work. Uh, definitely check out uh, our Patreon again is still is suspended. We're going to probably lift that next month. Uh, so we'll so check out for that. And again, you know, copying some merch, doing all that stuff, sharing out words about our show absolutely gets us to higher places. You know, I got luckily verified on Twitter because of all the love that's come um, from all of all of you in, in Bracago spreading love and giving and giving love out. So, um, we will see you all next week. Make sure you're checking out that show. It should be a banger. Uh, I'm going to get up out of here because it's time to go. Uh, and we will see you all next week. Massive amounts of love and peace.